So continuing on then with um, another dimension of effort, I recently asked a group of meditators, what did you first encounter in your mind when you sat down to meditate? And there was kind of a silence, and then someone said, thoughts. (laughs) What do you think? Does that sound about right? (laughs) Yeah. So our mind thinks a lot. It thinks all day, really. Um, And that's not surprising, because when we're you know, when we're just in our daily life, we're thinking, and then we sit down to meditate, and now all that momentum is there. We can't expect it to just not happen when we sit down and meditate. So, um, meditation is not about ending thoughts. I can find I can never say that too many times. Meditation is not about ending thoughts um, and dwelling in some kind of blank mind. That's not the point. Um, in fact, I hope you've seen so far today that in our discussion of wise effort, that we're trying to deliberately generate wholesome mind states, and some of those might have thoughts in them. Not all of them, but some of them might. So there could be wholesome thoughts going on. But, as we know from experience, not all thoughts are helpful, right? There are some that are irritating, repeating loops that go on, and there are some that are even obviously harmful in the moment, you know, like thoughts of hatred or something or lust or something. So I'm just going to collectively call those thoughts distracting thoughts. When we have met, when we're meditating, thoughts like that we can call distracting. So an important task of meditation is to overcome these so that the mind is in a healthier state. It's ready for the cultivation of tranquility and insight, which are what lead to liberation. So this is really about the abandoning step, in a sense, right? It's about various unwholesome states that have arisen in the form of distracting thoughts. And then how do we work with that? How do we uh, let go of those in some way? The good news is that the Buddha knew about this also. There are two back-to-back suttas in this book. Um, Pretty early on in the text, uh, that talk about how to work with thoughts. And this text is considered a um, manual for new monks that uh, its aim is considered to be a manual for new monks that uh, has all the major Buddhist themes in it, usually in the form of stories or uh, prose teachings so that they're kind of easy to digest. Um, And it's significant to me that uh, two of the ones fairly near the front are about thoughts. So... He knew this was of importance. So I wanted to go over the techniques that are talked about in those two suttas, uh, both practically and also to illustrate how they tie into other factors of the path. Because they are about effort, of course, this particular effort step of abandoning, but they end up bringing in all kinds of other elements on the path. So we start to see how things work together. I will note also, if... um, if you haven't yet read the chapter in Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness on Effort, the one by Bhante Gunaratana, he has a section where he talks about five methods to work with thoughts. And they're basically the ones that I'll be talking about from the discourse, but he has them in a different order. And he says that the order he lists them is something about like the least effort to the most effort, the least strength to the most strength, which might be true um, or it might be that he's heard a slightly different version in 
this particular lineage. I'm not sure, so I'll just say that I'm going to follow what's in the discourse that's in here. But you won't get anything terribly different when you read his book. So before we discuss the specific methods, of which I'll also give five, um, there is the importance, you know, the, the step before that is the importance of being able to see our thoughts, right? And to have some modicum of wisdom about them. Namely, we have to be able to know that a given thought is skillful or unskillful. And you might say, well, gee, what's so hard about that? But we know it's not that easy. Our thoughts really suck us in, and we're, you know, we're down the rabbit hole so fast. So we have to be able to see them. This is mindfulness. <laughs> and we have to ha be able to distinguish which one is helpful and which ones are not. And that's a wise view. That's a wise understanding. Remember that one form of wise view is to it's actually to distinguish wholesome from unwholesome. It's the view of karma. So we have to know that this is uh, on the good karma side and this is on the not-so-good karma side. So that's about wisdom, about wise view. So one of, the, one of the discourses is interesting. The Buddha talks about the time before he was enlightened. He says, back when I was practicing, <laughs> before I was enlightened, I noticed that I had a lot of thoughts. And I, so he, just, he got the idea that he would divide his thoughts into two types. One were thoughts related to sensual desire, ill will, and cruelty. That's on one side. And on the other side, he puts thoughts related to renunciation, goodwill, and compassion. So the, they're very opposites. Does anybody recognize that set of three? Yeah. Sensual desire, ill will, and cruelty, and their opposites, renunciation, goodwill, and compassion. Like, uh, or wise action. You're close. Oh. You're cl he's close. He said wise action. Which step of the path is that? Those three things. <laughs> it's wise intention. It was oh, a long time ago. <laughs> Related to action. But the three, right? The three wise right. intentions of renunciation, goodwill, and compassion, and their opposites. So, um, but I get what you were, I know you were sort of aiming at that. Yeah. So, the, um, the point is that doing this, this one step of abandoning unwholesome mind states, which is one quarter of wise, of wise effort, right? We have to bring in wise mindfulness, wise view, and wise intention. You know, we need to know those intentions. Mm -hmm. So you can start to see how these are all pulled together and related. So this is good. So we can see that our thoughts are, of course, the seeds for wholesome and unwholesome actions, like you were saying. And um, as I noted earlier, we're transitioning from these outer actions to seeing their seeds in the mind seeing thoughts that are related to the wise intentions or the unwise intentions. Okay, so wise effort means that we're going to do something about that. We're not just going to accept, oh, okay, my mind has been running down this path of sensual desire for the last 20 minutes. I'll just sit here with equanimity. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to actually say, actually, that's not really helping me. I'm going to make some effort to change that very empowering, actually. Instead of thinking of this as a project, like I have to do this, think of it as like 
being nice to yourself. Because nobody else is hurt by your sitting there having these thoughts running through your mind that are not, that are disturbing. Only you are suffering. This is so clear with anger, right? When we're angry with someone and we sit there and we stew for half an hour about it. And then we realize, you know, they didn't even know that I went through that. <laughs> and I suffered for half an hour. <laughs> so um, this is where we start saying, actually, I care about my mind state. I care about what's in my mind because I'm immediately affected by it, even before it gets out there. We go back to the source. So wise mindfulness. Sometimes we can't see thoughts while they're occurring. I'm not saying that we're suddenly, just because we want to, going to be able to track our thoughts exactly. But often we can at least look back after we've re-emerged into mindfulness, and we can look back and see what we were thinking. Even if we were sitting on, you know, we're sitting happily meditating and the mind goes off for five minutes, when we come back, we still have the chance to look back and see, okay, what was I thinking about? Where was that going? What was that? And so then we can say, oh my gosh, I'm replaying that same conversation again, again. So these are all called distracting thoughts. So we have them, thoughts typically related to sensual desire, ill will, and other variant cruelty, and other, uh, they're not in the list from that that I first gave, but various kinds of doubt are also very common. Um, For example, was I okay? Actually, Sally Armstrong says that Thoughts about doubt can be divided into three types. Was I okay? Am I okay? And will I be okay? Yeah? We could collapse a lot of stuff into those categories. So we'll just call that collectively kind of thoughts about doubt along with, so that's like the delusion part of greed, hatred, and delusion. So um, some kinds of doubt can't be ended on the cushion, so we might just have to put those aside. But in general, we have options. We have three ways of working with these so-called distracted thoughts. They're given um, in the discourse. The Buddha says it this way. He says, these are the order that you should try these in. I don't think it's ironclad. I'll mention that at the end. But it's a a pretty good order. And so we have to um, honestly try each one before going on to the next one. And that doesn't mean that we, like, try it once, doesn't work, try it again, half-heartedly doesn't work. And then we say, well, that didn't work. I'm going to go on to the next one. You know, that's not exactly wise effort. <laughs> so we need to actually, you know, try with our whole heart uh, each one before going on. Otherwise, we'll get to the last one too often. So the first technique is replace. Replace. So when we have distracting thoughts, we just replace them with something that's better. This is the normal thing that we do say we're meditating on the breath, or we're trying to meditate on the breath, and then we think for a while about what we're going to make for dinner. So this is basically a thought of sensual desire. Um, And so as soon as we notice that, we say, oops, and we just return to the breath. So we've replaced the thought of sensual desire back with the intended object, the breath. So this is actually the normal technique that we're doing. Um, In addition, though, that's kind of the neutral instruction that you're given is when your mind wanders off, notice that and just pick up the object again. So what's the little extra dimension that's being added here is to notice the wholesome and unwholesome nature. So notice that the wandering thoughts about dinner, which aren't relevant while I'm meditating, you could think about it after the meditation and that would still be, you'd still get dinner on the table, right? 
So um, to notice that that has an unwholesome nature to it. It's just rumination about, mostly about pleasure. And so, um, and then we notice that the breath is at least a neutral object and it actually is um, a wholesome object of concentration, potentially an object of concentration. So adding in that little extra dimension can give the mind the motivation it might need to uh, be willing to not go with those thoughts and to stay with the meditation object. We can also be a little bit more explicit, like if we're having thoughts about how we're going to get back at somebody. These are thoughts of either ill will or cruelty, depending on what we're planning. Um, We can realize that's not only unwholesome, I'm going to replace that with metta. I'm going to turn instead towards something that is even though I don't like this person or I'm having difficulty with them, they do have good qualities. So you don't allow your mind to continue creating negative thoughts about another person, um, and, but you actively see something about them. There's got to be something about them that's okay. So we can turn the mind toward that. And even that is a good exercise, right? So this is replacing. Um, And then we can get that taste of how much better wholesome mind states actually feel than unwholesome ones. They feel better. And that's a good kind of good feeling. Does that make sense? There there are good feelings that are just like, well, you know, we like hot chocolate, okay. But um, there are good feelings that are really good to have, like the wholesome feeling of metta or concentration or generosity. Yes? Yeah, it's because this the battery has gone out, so I'm just gonna project a little bit louder. Thank you. Yeah, sorry about that. It's a long class. No, no, no. You need to be able to hear. So, also, my own voice tends to get quieter. I know when I'm because I start to speak from some internal place, and so. My, I understand that. So if, if I drop again, wave your hand, but I will try to be mindful of that. Put some effort into maintaining a voice that allows all of you to hear. So we can learn that wholesome thoughts just feel better than unwholesome ones. So that's the replace technique. And it's, it's pretty simple. You know, it's clear enough. This isn't working. Let's do this instead. So it has a cleanness to it. If that doesn't work, however, and whatever the mind is doing is, it's really bent on that thing and it keeps going back, even though you've tried quite a lot to change the momentum, you can do the second technique, which is reflect on the disadvantages of this type of thinking, of the unwholesome type of thinking. So this is, um, there's a lot of different ways we can do this. The idea is not to start thinking a lot, but to just be really clear about why this is not helpful to you at this moment. So in the case of greed, for example, we could reflect, if, depending on the, your mind type, if you're kind of a cognitive type, you could reflect abstractly on how much trouble in the world is caused by greed. Can we even fathom how much difficulty in the world is caused by greed? It's huge, right? And so if we think, I'm participating in that mind state at this moment, and you might say, I don't want to participate in that. (laughs) I'm not contributing one ounce of my mind to greed, because it causes so much trouble in the world. Um, If that's not your thing, we can also use personal self-respect. Is this thought worthy of me? 
And this is a good use of the self. You talked about self earlier. I don't want to say that the self is always bad and wrong. You can use the self in a positive way through self-respect. You can say, um, my intention is to be a good, ethical, helpful person in the world, compassionate, good meditator, whatever it is that motivates you. And this thought is not worthy of that person. It's beneath me, essentially. This is a good use of self-respect. And so you can say, this is, I can't believe I'm having this thought. And that can help a lot to undermine your desire to keep thinking it. We can also think on a more personal level that if we allow this mind state to grow in us, remember that karma is always flowing. We're always cultivating something. This is not meant to scare you, but... It's true that if we sit and think for, for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes about something that's not helpful, we've added that much more momentum to that. And so that can really help the mind say, whoa, that's not the momentum I want to be creating. Something else would be better, neutral or positive. We can also think about how if we let that mind state grow, it could cause some real problems for us, not even just in an abstract sense, like I don't want to add to that. If I keep fueling this ill will about my partner for that thing they did this morning, I can't guarantee that I won't let that come out this evening when I see them. And I don't want that to happen. I care about the relationship. So right now, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to add any more momentum to that ill will because who knows, it might, be, it might come out strongly later. Yeah. Or we can even notice, all this is kind of additional thoughts, we could notice that in that very moment, in this exact moment, having an unwholesome thought is stressful in some way. It's unpleasant, actually. A lot of, you know, a lot. there are some pleasant, unwholesome thoughts. I won't say that there aren't any, but, um, and that's why we get hooked, of course. But we could notice that uh, there's a certain agitation, usually, at the very least. There's a certain agitation to, wholesome, to unwholesome thoughts. And we can feel that effect. We're going to get to one that talks more about that later. But just reflect on the disadvantages of my mind going off in this direction. And it might be willing to not do that anymore. However, if we've tried that, and we've tried a number of different dimensions of that, it might be that that thought is really strong, and it's still coming. And so we can go on to the third dimension, which is actually to ignore it. It says, forget those thoughts and don't give attention to them. And you might say, when you hear this up front, you think, well, that's, that's ridiculous. It was a powerful thought, a distracting thought. Why would I be able to just ignore it? But remember, this is the third technique. You've already put energy, you've already diverted some of its momentum by trying to replace it. You've also seen very clearly why it's not helpful. So you've already diminished it in a number of ways. And it can be that at that point, your mind is actually willing to, to, to ignore it. Um, in fact, it can be that if the, the second step on reflection, if we're a, a cognitive type, we can actually kind of keep the thought alive by reflecting on the problems with it, right? By saying, well, I shouldn't have anger because of all these blah, blah, blah. In the meantime, the anger is still kind of there because we're acknowledging its existence. So then when you move to ignore, the mind might be totally ready to drop it. It provides an avenue for the mind to just ignore, just let it go. 
you've diminished enough of its power that it can that it can go. However, it can be <laughs> that there's still a little bit of momentum to it. At this point, it really should be diminishing a lot. And by the way, all of these techniques are done um, without aversion. So your your aversion to that thought should be diminishing also as you go along, because you've brought up a lot of wholesome mind states in attempting to deal with it. You've brought up mindfulness, you've brought up wise reflection, you've brought up your sense of ethics, of not wanting to think this way, you've brought up your equanimity and being willing to ignore it. You know, you've, you've actually brought up so many wholesome states that um, there's a lot of momentum against it. <laughs> so the third, the fourth one then begins to make sense, which is, stilling the thought formation, so bringing the mind to calmness. So in this dimension, you forget about the wholesome-unwholesome. It's like you're done with that. You just see the agitation, as I alluded to earlier. You just see that there's energy, there's effort, if you will, work um, associated with the mind going on this um, thought trail. And you just realize that I don't want to be agitated. I would rather be calm than agitated. So you turn your mind toward calmness. You're not even dealing with the content of the thought anymore, but just it's, it's slight energy. Um, we tune into the unpleasant buzz of energy, if you will, that's related to an unwholesome thought, and we encourage that towards stillness. The analogy given in the sutta, by the way, is quite interesting. Um, I can find it quickly. Just as if a person walking fast might consider, why am I walking fast? What if I walk slowly? And she would walk slowly. And then might consider, why am I walking slowly? What if I stand? And so she would stand and then consider, why am I standing? What if I sit? And she would sit and then consider, why am I sitting? What if I lie down? By doing so, she would substitute for each grosser posture one that was subtler, So too, when a meditator gives attention to stilling the thought formation, the thoughts will gradually diminish and the mind will come to to concentration. So it's just this sense of why why is there so much energy here? So I don't think we necessarily do one to four exactly in that order, but there's a pretty good order, as you can see the way it's laid out. I think three and four can easily be switched, so ignoring it or stilling the thought formation after you've kind of gotten through the, this isn't working and I'm trying to replace it with something else, then just anything that settles the mind is good. Um, the point is that uh, these four can work together with a particularly sticky thought formation to eventually let it go. Um, Assuming that you really do want to abandon it, of course. I mean, the reason it's still there is that some part of your mind doesn't want to let it go, right? <laughs> and so it's also important to stay with um, the, the part of your mind that really does want to meditate at this moment and not be convinced by the part of your mind that says, no, it's really important that I figure out how to take revenge on this person right now. <laughs> you know, it's like keep making sure you're identifying with the right part. 
So what is that? That's putting mindfulness and wisdom in the driver's seat. However, it can be that uh, even all of these don't work, and you get to number five, which is to beat the mind down and crush mind with mind is what the technique says. And most people hear this and say, oh my God, you know, what, what is this? Of course, some people use this as the first technique. That is not what the sutta says, okay? <laughs> That's not what it says. So this is the just say no, um, if you want a kindlier version, right? So remember, this is the fifth. It's only to be done after all the others have failed. Uh, Venerable Nalio calls it the emergency brake, uh, if you will. If you can't stop the car, you could just put on the emergency brake. It's not a good way to stop a car, but you can. Um, but basically, you are so committed to having a mind that is not in an unwholesome mind state that you're willing to use some force to stop it. I think it's interesting. Like, How often are we just kind of lazy and say, oh, well, I guess I'll just go with it. <laughs> you know? And this says, no, I'm not going to go with it. So Shyla Catherine, who's another teacher in this, uh, up in the Bay Area, just for, for understanding the statistics, she has said that she has used this technique on her mind a few times in the last 30 years. So that maybe tells you the frequency <laughs> of when we should get to this one. Okay? Um, she, I also like the way she talks about this method which is that she says, with no exertion, I exert a strong resolution that this mind state is simply not going to win out. I say to it, you are not getting one more minute of my life. I love that. I mean, that's the attitude that makes this technique work. It's not, you know, crush mind with mind, okay. You have to understand the, you know, it came from some other culture, right? But how about you are not getting one more minute of my life? That makes sense to me. Uh, there are things I don't want in my mind, and it's, you know, you could have a better minute, <laughs> right? So I like that. It's a, it's a very firm boundary. You know, this is my boundary. So I'll close with a couple of quotes from these two suttas that I like a lot. Whatever one thinks, frequently thinks and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of the mind. Yeah? So we have the ability to foster certain thoughts and not other thoughts. And we have to live with our mind. <laughs> so um, what will we do with it? You know, what, will, what will we frequently think and ponder upon? And then there's a very nice line from the other sutta that says, a person who has mastered these five ways, this is the one about the five ways, this practitioner is called a master of the courses of thought. She thinks whatever thought she wishes to think and does not think any thought that she does not wish to think. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> so that's the motivation to do this kind of practice, is to have a little more say over that. Okay. So with that, I thought it was worth focusing on just one aspect of wise effort that's relevant for all of us in this talk. So we'll have a chance to talk a little bit in small groups again. Why don't we make our why don't we make different sets of three this time, if you can? So the first question is 
describe a time when you successfully used one of these five techniques, I'll repeat them in a moment, on a specific distracting thought or repeating thought pattern. These aren't, these aren't like totally out of the blue techniques. They're things that we would naturally think to use. They're just systematized here. So you've surely used one of them at some point. So see if you can find a time when you did actually overcome some kind of a distracting thought pattern. And the emphasis when you're describing it is on the technique, not on this long story about why you were having that particular distracting thought or the whole situation that caused it. So the five techniques are replace, just think about something else, reflect on the disadvantages and thereby decide not to think that way, ignore, calm the mind, just focus on the energy, the agitation, and still it, or beat it down and crush mind with mind. So have you used one of those successfully, which means without aversion? <laughs> um, and see if you can find a, a time to, to tell about. Okay, and so then the, um, the next question, wait, stay in your groups. There's one more, which is, um, what personal benefits have you seen from making some effort to change your thought patterns? Should be easy enough, huh? And if there's time, you can add what societal benefits um, are there. <laughs> and I, I actually still mean from your personal efforts, you know, what externally has mattered also. Okay, so we can go again, just go around. Each person contributes one thing, and then you'll get another chance next time it gets around to you. Okay, so I'd be interested in hearing um, anything that came out of that, or also just any, any questions you have about wise effort as we embark on this month. Was there a commonality in the types of techniques you had used, or were there widely varying, or anything else? Yeah, I think that's why it's first, is that's the easiest one. We see, this isn't working, let's try this instead. <laughs> yeah. Some brains have aversion to one form or another in their brain, and the brain won't let that one work for them. What is that? So Can you give an example? I've had a situation where it's like, I just don't buy Okay, yeah, oh, I see. Place. So I have to do something else because it's just not going there. Whereas, whereas, you know, replace works well. Works well for others, yeah. I see. Yeah, you may find that certain of these are more suitable for you at certain times. But I wouldn't uh, lock that in and say, well, this is just how it is for my mind. You might find after five years of practice that something different works for you. So who knows? what you engage in perhaps in with training your own mind, how that then can radiate out. In what way? People interact with you or you interact with people. Mm -hmm. So I, I went into doing an intensive meta training for a year and um, because of just internal dialogue about myself. 
And now I find it, it applies out to other people, that I have more compassion and more metta for all sorts of other people, and that produces different responses from them. Absolutely. You know, so I, I didn't know about that when I got started down that way. I was just doing it for the internal reasons. Yeah, the great thing about this path is that we can't actually just benefit ourselves. <laughs> There's no way. <laughs> it just doesn't work that yeah. way. And actually what you're saying points toward an even deeper point of the Dharma, which is that the disposition of our mind impacts what experiences we have, literally. And once you realize that, once you really realize that, you will never stop practicing because you realize that you are really creating your own world. Um, you know, and not to say that, you know, blaming victims for crimes and anything like that. It's nothing extreme like that. It's but just in an everyday sense, we literally live in the world that is going through our minds, and we have control over that to some degree through, uh, through practice. And so this is actually usually often a big turning point in people's practices. It's not that the rest of the world is making us be a certain way. So there's a, a big taking of responsibility. I hadn't heard the teaching that you wouldn't that you would do it in any kind of order, but uh-huh. I had heard about that fifth possibility. And what I had read was to um, um, pull, like pulling a dog on a leash, or and uh, the sitting on part, or but being harsh about changing things. And that and it did work. I'm happy to know now that that's not a good idea for everything. But it was a very extreme situation, and an extremely bad thoughts that were messing up my life. Yeah. And I found it very effective. Yeah. To just say this isn't going to happen. Not, can't work anymore. Nope. Great. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And that also teaches your heart on some level that these sorts of changes can be made if you really want to. And so there's a certain confidence that can come from that. It sounds like that was really done out of compassion. That was fierce compassion um, and not anything related to, say, what Maggie was talking about of self-criticism, right? So there's a big difference. Yeah. I think I'll just offer one thing that um, is coming to mind, partly from some, a couple things I overheard during that, but also um, an image that my teacher, my teacher used to give, of um, that we have. There are some people who are going away from suffering on their path. You know, they they really feel the, the the pain and the suffering of life, and they are not wanting to do that anymore. And there are other people who are going toward something, bliss or peace or happiness, and they really see the potential of the path to bring more and more of that. These are like the front and back of a hand. That's why I have my hand out. It's like if you're doing one, the other is going to come, but you might frame it one way or the other. And so you can check in your mind kind of which resonates more. 
and consider, is this going to be enough, or might I need to think about the other side of the hand at some point also? Just be aware that there are sort of those two ways, and they come to mind because of the teachings on wise effort, where there's the moving away from the unwholesome and the moving toward the wholesome. Which is the bigger motivator for you? My sense is that at different points on the path, we're going to have to use both of them, and so it's good to be aware of those different options. Why don't we just sit, to have a short sit to finish off. I won't guide it. You can just uh, use the five techniques <laughs> or uh, otherwise rest, rest from effort. I just have one um, small correction to offer from the first talk. Jake pointed out to me that the word for um, wise effort on the path is actually sama vayamo, it's not virya. So it's just a different word that also means effort, but in all the other lists it's virya. <laughs> so just so you don't think it was virya every time. Um, and then the only other announcement is that the wise mindfulness session will be April 15th. Make sure you finish your taxes before then. No, they're due on the 16th this year. That's a Sunday. And I hope you have a wonderful month of effort. Take care. And please remember that all the free, all the teachings are offered freely, but the teacher deserves our support. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.